you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the scripture that we're going to be looking at is in the bulletin. It's on the inside back cover. There's also a place to take notes there with some blanks that we'll hit as we come to them. Uh, we're going to read the first two verses of 2 Timothy as we begin a series. Um, so this is 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Friends, listen. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. So as we begin a new year, uh, we look to God, right? That's why we're here. We're looking to God uh, to guide us and to direct our lives. Um, how many of you have made resolutions this year? <laughs> Any resolutions on your spiritual life? <laughs> Not as many, right? Maybe you're committing to reading the Bible more. Right? Maybe you're going to commit to doing city Bible reading more consistently than you did last year. Um, you know, as your pastor, I want to call you all to make a resolution with me. Okay? There's a resolution that I have made, and I want you all to make it with me. Um, this is a resolution that will honor God, and it will make him happy. Okay? This is a resolution that will change your life for the better. And it's a resolution that will be good for San Diego. It'll be good for the people that you know. God wants to fill San Diego with people who are good for the city, and this resolution will do that. Um, you ready? Okay, here's the resolution I want you to make with me. Can we go to the next slide? Resolve with me to become people who celebrate. Okay? Resolve with me to become people who celebrate. That was an intentional pregnant pause so that you can read and absorb this resolution. <laughs> Thank you for those of you who believe me. <clears throat> yeah, so this year I want all of us to become people who celebrate. Jesus came so that we would have an abundant life, okay? John 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? Jesus doesn't want to just live halfway. He wants us to live to the fullest, to the, to the greatest extent of life as God intended. And if you are experiencing this full, abundant life of Jesus, then you will celebrate. And so I want it to be people who celebrate. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds good, right? Sounds good. Celebrating would be great, but you don't know my life, right? You don't know what, what I go through. You don't know what it's like for me at home. You don't know what it's like. You don't know my situation at work. You don't know the relationship problems that I'm drowning in, um, you just don't understand. My life isn't worth celebrating. Right? If that's you, I want you to know that I get it. I really do get it. I get it. In order to become people who celebrate, we're going to have to become learners. 
Okay, we're going to have to become people who learn, and we're going to need to learn what to celebrate and how to celebrate. And so what we're going to do this year is we're going to spend this year looking at the Apostle Paul. Okay, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and we're going to learn from him as he teaches his disciple, Timothy. Um, and today, we're going to look at an overview of the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and it's going to teach us to become people who celebrate, okay? And as we look at this letter, as we do an overview today of this letter of 2 Timothy, there's something that we have to understand first if we're going to appreciate this letter, okay? And if you're taking notes, here's the first blank. That Paul's situation, the place where Paul was when he wrote this, was awful, okay? Paul's situation was awful, okay? We know from this letter that Paul was writing from prison, Okay, how do we know that? Because the letter tells us. In chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Okay, and then in chapter 1, verse 16, um, Paul, talking about somebody else, says, He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Okay, so Paul writes this from jail. He's chained up in prison. Okay, and it's not just that he's in prison. But the second thing that we know about Paul's situation was that he knew he was about to die. Okay, and we know this from chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Uh, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So Paul knew he was going to die. He was in prison, and he was about to die. And, and I want to actually help you appreciate um, the prison that Paul was in. Okay, I want to tell you some more. It was called the Mamertine prison. Um, Paul and Peter actually were both imprisoned in this place uh, in Rome uh, at different times, not together, but at different times, before each was executed. Um, and so if you go on YouTube, you can actually visit this, this prison, and you can check it out, uh, get a sense of what it was like. But historians, historians and archaeologists, they describe this as a gruesome place and a gruesome form of incarceration. And so let me just give you some photos that I got off the internet. <clears throat> this is the upper prison cell. Okay, so it's stone, it's hard, it's cold, it's dirty, and it's wet. Okay, this is a wet, wet place. Um, and in this room from a different angle, uh, you can see there's an altar that Christians have erected because they want to honor um, the prisoners who were there. Um, but you see in the floor, there was this hole. They call this the upper prison cell because there was a hole in the floor. Um, and this hole in the ground led to a lower dungeon. And uh, just doing research on this, the research says that this lower level, this was the point of no return for criminals who were lowered into the abyss through a hole in the floor. Indefinite imprisonment wasn't a sentence in the Roman Empire. So prisoners were either executed in the pit or dragged out for public strangulation, they were fined or they were exiled. And as prisoners that were condemned to this, they were considered the worst of the worst, and so a death sentence was virtually assured. Okay, and so here's a picture that, uh, of that lower, that lower cell. Um, the table that's at the place there, there's another altar that's set there. Um, because the Christians just want to come in and worship in every place where they found the, the apostles. You know, it's understandable a little bit. Um, that pillar on the left, though, that's the place where Paul was chained. He was chained to that pillar um, as he waited his fate. 
And it says this, the research says, there was a floodgate opening onto an underground channel that went to the sewer main. And this was opened to dispose of the bodies into the sewer system leading to the river. So John MacArthur, pastor in LA, um, he took a trip to this place and he had, he had this to say. He said, the sewage system ran through the prison. He said, I was told on a visit there that when the cells were filled to capacity, the sewage gates were opened and all the inmates would drown in the city's filth, making way for a new batch of prisoners. And so, before we talk about becoming people who celebrate, right? Before we talk about how your life isn't worth celebrating, I want us to see Paul's life and where he was when he wrote 2 Timothy, okay? It's important for us. It's important for us because Paul was doing God's will, and yet here he was in this prison. There were people in the churches that Paul pastored. Paul was abandoned, um, and the people in the churches that he pastored were claiming that Paul's imprisonment was proof that he wasn't even a Christian, So this is the situation that Paul finds himself in. Here he is, he's in a prison cell that's connected to the sewer system, ready either to drown in Rome's filthy toilet water or to be sentenced to have his head chopped off. Now, please understand, the primary reason I'm telling you this is not because I want to minimize the suffering that you are experiencing, okay? Because I've heard people do that. And they say, well, if you look at what Paul was suffering, then what you're dealing with is nothing. Now, that can be true sometimes, and sometimes we do need to hear that. But I'm telling you this not to make you feel guilty, because your suffering is real. Okay? And I want you to hear that, that your suffering is real, whatever it is. If you're suffering, that's real to you. And just because someone else has suffered more doesn't invalidate the reality that you are suffering. And so I'm not bringing up Paul's suffering because I want you to feel guilty about your suffering. I'm bringing it up because I want you to know that the Bible understands your life. Okay, the people that wrote the Bible, they were not locked up in an ivory tower, disconnected from you know, the, the sufferings of life. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was stuck. His situation was awful. And so when he writes, and what he writes, he knows what suffering is. What kind of letter would you write from this prison cell? What kinds of letters are you writing now to the people that you know? Now, Paul's letter isn't simplistic. It's not one-dimensional. But Paul was one of these people who celebrate. He's one of these people who celebrate. And so what I did was I actually printed the whole of 2 Timothy out on a piece of paper. Can y'all read that? No, I don't, I don't need you to read it. I just want you to see the highlights. Okay, this is all, it's um, Arial 9 point. Fits on one page with really tiny margins. That's why I put it on this so you wouldn't get mad at me for not having margin in my life, right? <laughs> Harkening back to other sermons from the past. But no, I just want you to see the highlights here, okay? Because I highlighted every passage where Paul is celebrating. 
Okay, stuck in this prison cell, Paul writes a letter, 83 verses total, so about 83 sentences. And out of 83 verses, 25 of those verses are Paul celebrating. I got a slide here for you too, just a, another version. Um, man. 25 out of 83 verses from this prison cell. If Paul could be one of these people who celebrate, then if we learn from him, we can be too. We can become people who celebrate. And Paul celebrated two things mainly. And we're going to look at those two things with the next two points of our sermon. Um, so point number two. In the situation, Paul's awful situation, Paul celebrated God. Paul celebrated God. I can't show you all the verses, but I'm just going to give you some of the highlights so that you can get a taste of what Paul says. And again, we're going to come to these verses over the course of the year. So here's just, uh, here's just some of the highlights. Uh, look at chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says this, God saved us, not because of our works, but because of his grace. Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so here, in the midst of this letter where Paul is in prison, right, he is surrounded by this dank, disgusting, dirty, filthy uh, like stone. Right? He's in this place. People are saying bad things about him. And Paul celebrates in this prison cell the free grace of God. Paul celebrates the fact that, you know what, we don't earn our salvation. Our salvation is not by works. It's by God's grace. And, and Paul celebrated Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, because it meant something to him. It meant something to Paul. Paul realized that if Jesus died and then passed through death and rose from the dead, that means that death isn't the end of the story. That Jesus, because of what he did, has brought immortality to light. And immortality for Paul, that is, yes, we're going to live forever with God in the future, but immortality also means that we can live today in a way that will last forever. You can begin to experience immortality today. Right? Heaven can come in the here and now. Paul knew that the way that he responded to his imprisonment was going to make an impact on people for the rest of human history. And guess what? It has. I mean, look at us. Because of the way Paul responded, we are still benefiting. We are still being changed and invited into a greater experience of God because of how he responded. His response of celebrating God brought immortality, brought a, a way of living that will last forever. Then he goes on. Verse, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I am bound in chains, a criminal, but God's word is not bound. And so here, Paul celebrates the fact that God can use all of our circumstances, no matter what they are, even prison, as part of his great plan for our lives. And that gave Paul incredible confidence while he was suffering. So he could celebrate because he knew that even though he was in chains, God's word was going out. And in fact, it was even magnified because of Paul's suffering. In other places in Philippians, it's another letter where Paul is in jail, in a different jail at a different time. That just happened to him a lot of times. Um, 
And, uh, but he realized that him being in prison because he stood up for Jesus was giving other people the power and the boldness that they needed. And so Paul celebrated that. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, again, these are just the highlights. Paul says, all deserted me, but Jesus stood by me and strengthened me. And so Paul celebrates the fact that even when everybody else chickens out, even when everybody else deserts and doesn't want to keep following God, when nobody else will stand up for Jesus, and he did, and he's in jail now because of it, Jesus was standing there with him every minute of the day. He knew that he wasn't alone in this prison cell. But Jesus himself was there with him. And that caused him to celebrate. And so all of this, in a sense, at the end of the letter, Paul says, to him be the glory forever and ever. So as Paul celebrates, his celebration says God gets all the credit. And God is worth it. He's worth it. He is worth all the sacrifice. He's worth all the suffering. He's worth all the pain. Paul worshipped and celebrated God in the midst of his awful situation. Friends, if he can do that there, then we can do it today. Then you can do it in your home, in your workplace, in your relationships. You can endure anything and you can celebrate God because he is with you. So Paul celebrates God. And secondly, in his situation, Paul celebrated others. Paul celebrated others. And for Paul, uh, he celebrated Timothy. Timothy was um, someone that Paul led to become a Christian. He led him to Jesus, taught him how to become a Christian through his preaching in the book of Acts. We'll look at more of the details of that as we look through this book over the course of the year. Um, but then Timothy became a co-worker of Paul's, and Paul trained Timothy to become a pastor. And, uh, and this letter, really you find Paul is either celebrating God or he is celebrating Timothy. Okay, he's celebrating Timothy. Let me just give you again some of the highlights. In verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, you're my beloved child. And then he says, I thank God as I remember you. And in this, Paul affirmed Timothy. Paul affirmed Timothy. He saw, um, he made sure that Timothy knew he loved him. He made sure that Timothy knew he was for him. He made sure that, that Timothy knew that Paul had his back. And so we see Paul here, he is celebrating Timothy. Timothy, you're my son. You're my son. I'm your father. I love you. We're family. Um, I want you to know that I thank God for you. Right, when was the last time someone said that to you? Like, I thank God for you. When was the last time you said that to someone else? Right, we need to learn to celebrate others along with Paul. Well, he goes on uh, from affirming Timothy. Then he says uh, in verse 5, he talks about your sincere faith. Timothy wavered. Timothy struggled. Timothy was one of these people that didn't get it all right all the time. There are some passages that Paul writes where you think, oh man, I could just never be like that, right? He comes across sometimes, not all the time, because there's other places where we get to see wonderfully 
his humanness. But there's passages that sometimes we read from Paul, maybe, maybe this is some of it, um, and we think, wow, like that's just so far from where I am. Um, but then we see Timothy, and Timothy seems to have struggled. He struggled a lot. Um, Timothy seems to be timid. He seems to not want to stand up, not want to make a, like a scene for, in front of other people. Um, and Timothy seems to have times where he fails. Um, and yet Paul encourages him. He encourages him. He saw his faith. He says, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. And you just need to know, because and this, this is true for us, right? We need people like this in our lives, don't we? Because there's times when we fail, and if it's up to us, and we're going to be the judge, then we're out. And at times like that, we need somebody else looking into our lives. We need somebody else from the outside looking in saying, look, yeah, I know you failed, but your faith is sincere. I know, I know that you have a sincere faith. And, and he says, verse 6, Timothy, the gift of God is in you. Timothy, you have a gift from God, and you need to know that. You need to realize you're not doing this on your own, that you're not standing there on your own, you're not fighting on your own, that you have God's gift in you. And so Paul made sure that Timothy knew what Paul saw in him, that Paul could see God's working in him. This is what encourages people. And so this affirmation of Timothy's faith and then these last verses, these are really kind of neat um, because these are just sentences as you read through the letter. Paul says, think on these things and God will give you understanding. And it's, to me, it's like he's saying, Timothy, hang in there. Like, hang in there. There's stuff that's hard to understand. Just keep, keep working at it. You'll get it. God will give you understanding. He is with you. Don't give up. Hang in there. And then in verse 15 of chapter 2, he just says, do your best. He says, do your best. And I think what he's telling him is he's saying, look, you don't have to be perfect. Okay? Because Jesus was perfect for us. Don't forget that. There's a place where he says, remember Jesus risen from the dead. Right? In another verse. And so here it's like he's saying, look, God doesn't, doesn't use perfect people only because then none of us would be used. But he says, look, just do your best. And God will use your best efforts, and he will use you. He will use you to bless others. He'll use you in your work. He'll use you in your relationships. He's like, just do your best. You don't have to be perfect. And so Paul does this thing. He, he both um, he celebrates God, and then he celebrates Timothy. And I think sometimes when our lives aren't going well, when we're in the prison cells of life, um, sometimes the best thing that we can do is we can say, we can ask ourselves, what is God doing in other people? Right? If you can't see God at work in your life, sometimes you need to ask, okay, well, how do I see God at work in the lives of others? Are you with me? I mean, when you do that, sometimes that's a heck of a lot easier to see. Right? Oh, you can go to someone else. You can say, you know what? This is what I see God doing in your life. And I'm really encouraged by that. Or you can celebrate them by affirming them and how much you care about them and what you see God doing in their lives. Um, you can encourage them to keep on keeping on, right? Um, sometimes it's important for us to just ask, yeah, what is God doing outside of me, right? What can I see in someone else's life that I can celebrate? And, and I want you to think, too, that because of the different personalities that we have as a family, 
like some of you are like me. You're effusive, you're emotional, you're outward, you're exuberant, right? And so celebration has a particular look. You know, it looks like Times Square on New Year's Eve, right? Um, but then for others of you, celebration looks very, very different, okay? And so celebration doesn't just look like being in front of somebody going, oh my goodness, you're the greatest person ever, I can't believe... I mean, that's, that, that may not be what celebration looks like for you. Okay, that's not what celebration looks like for me either, but um, just trying to make a point. I, I want you to think about the things that you celebrate, right? I mean, it could be the Chargers, right? That they got into the playoffs. I mean, they beat a practice squad from the Kansas City Chiefs, but that's another point. Um, we're not going to talk about that. Um, but... Uh, like, think about, like, what is it in your life that you celebrate so that you can, like, look and say, okay, that's how I do it, right? That's what celebration looks like for me. It could look like making, um, it could look like making a sort of a monotone affirming sentence, right? And I'm not, I mean, I'm not making fun of this. I'm just, like, really, this is what you need to understand. Like, this could be how you celebrate. Like, hey, great job. Like, I like the way you did that. You know people that do this? Um, and because uh, I don't want, I guess, I want all of us to become people who celebrate. Right? I think that's what God would want from all of us to, to build this into our lives this year. And you just need to understand that the way that you celebrate is going to look unique to you. And whatever it looks like, I want you to embrace celebration. I want you to celebrate the good news of Jesus that salvation is free, it's not by works, that he is with us, that we don't have to be perfect because he accepts us just as we are, right? That he brings his strength and his power into our lives and that's the source of how we grow. And then, man, who is it around us that we can celebrate? Like what is going on in their lives that lines up with what God is doing in the world? I mean, this, is, this could be true for folks who are Christians and for folks who aren't Christians, I mean, some of the best times that I get to have are helping non-Christian people to understand that the way they think, the way they feel, and the passions of their heart oftentimes line up with Jesus's. You know, and for people to hear that a Christian that they know actually respects them, you know, and celebrates them, it makes, it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I had an experience just this weekend where um, I was at a party with a bunch of people that I'd never met before, uh, most of whom weren't Christians, and we're just talking, and, um, and at one point someone asked me something, and it led to me telling them a little bit about my own story with Jesus, and, um, and we're just talking and having a good time, and I'm learning their stories, I'm understanding what they do, and just kind of getting a feel for them, and I'm just excited about them as people, right? Well, it was really cool because at the end of the night, someone said um, in front of everybody, they looked at me and they said, you know, um, there are two kinds of, there's two, really two things that have kept me from religion. Um, and it's because religious people are condemning and judgmental. And religious people don't have fun. <laughs> and then she said, you are neither of these. And I really appreciate you. And I'm thinking... That's it. Like, that's it. Like, we need to live lives where we're celebrating God, we're celebrating other people, 
Because when we do that, it makes a huge difference. It makes our God look so different. Because people have this idea of what God is like and what Jesus is like. And, you know, again, like people say, oh, I'm not into Christianity. And I'm like, well, what, 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 what don't you like about Christianity? And they tell me, and I usually can say to them, gosh, Jesus doesn't like that either. That's not Christianity. And as we become people who celebrate, as we become people who celebrate, we'll be able to give the people around us a very different understanding of Christianity. And so um, I got a quote here from G.K. Chesterton. This is a good one. It's tied in with New Year's resolutions. And we'll, we'll pull it all together here. It says, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It's that we should have a new soul, a new backbone, new ears, and new eyes. Unless a man starts afresh about things, he will certainly do nothing effective. And I think the point here he's making is simply that new years come, and yeah, it's just an artificial calendar turn in some ways, but it's also an opportunity for us to remember as people who love and are following the living God, that he gives us a fresh start. That God is willing to say, all right, let's wipe the slate clean and let's start fresh. We've got another chance at a new you. He's already done all of these things for us in Jesus and now he just wants us to walk in them. And so I want you all with me to resolve that this year we're going to celebrate. We're going to be people who celebrate, who celebrate the good news of Jesus in all of its fullness and then celebrate the people around us, both in the church, because, man, we need it. Every single one of you, including me, we need people who will celebrate us. We need people who see us and see the best, right? We need people who see us and see what we're trying to do, <laughs> right? What we're trying to do and never do, right? This is what we need. If you remember all the way back in our sermons on justification, we need people who can look at gap two. Remember that? If you don't remember, that's okay. You can dig out the sermon if you want. But we need people who see the good in us and can fan that into flame. Because it's there because God's put it there. And we need to surround ourselves with people and be in community with each other so that we can encourage this and call it out of each of us. Because, again, it's there. Um, City Bible reading, it's really, it's, it's designed to help you with this. Right? The ACTS prayer, adoration and thanksgiving, these are designed to help us to celebrate God. Right? They're designed to help us celebrate God and what he does for us in Jesus so that we can celebrate him. Um, we're, this month, um, in our life groups, um, we're going to be looking and doing city Bible reading together, so that if you've never done it before, or if you tried it before and it didn't work for you, come and join one of our life groups and do it with us in community. Because um, some of this, it's like, as you do it together, it gets easier to do it on your own. Um, but this, again, this is another tool uh, that we can use and so the last thing I just want to show you is I, wanna, I want you to see this in action. Um, in Acts chapter 16, again, this is a different place. It's a short story about Paul. 
Uh, Paul got arrested uh, because he was preaching Jesus and the Jewish people in the city didn't like him doing that. So they had him arrested. Um, he was beat. Um, oh, and actually they also freed a, a, a girl who was a slave of demon possession. Um, she would tell fortunes and make a lot of money for her masters. And so they freed her from that demonic activity. And so she couldn't do that anymore. And her owners got mad. And the owners are actually the ones that turned Paul in and got him arrested. So uh, it's just interesting to know. Um, so they were beaten with rods. This is Acts chapter 16. When they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so Paul is beaten, and he was with, his, he was with a friend Silas. And so there he was. He's in jail, having been beaten, kind of like he is here with 2 Timothy, but it's, it's different. Um, and then the next verse says this. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So this wasn't just a one-time thing for Paul. Beaten and thrown in jail, held up in stocks, and at midnight, you know, four hours later, ten hours later, you know, when your arms are really feeling good, um, he is praying and singing hymns. He's celebrating God in that place. The prisoners are listening to them. Right? Then there's this earthquake. God breaks them out of prison in this amazing, miraculous thing. And the jailer freaks out because if they get away, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get killed. Um, and the jailer calls for the lights, and he rushes in. Paul says, look, don't worry, we're all here. So the guy goes in, and, he, and, and then he brings Paul and Silas out, and this is what he says to them. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So this jailer watching Paul celebrating God in the midst of his sufferings says, man, I need that. That's what I need in my life. He says, what must I do to be saved? And what does Paul say? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so Paul goes from celebrating God to celebrating others. He says, look, turn and start following Jesus and you'll be saved. Get baptized, identify with Jesus. Paul's saying, look, this is open to everyone, including you. You can join the celebration. And that's what happened. The jailer brought, him, brought them to his house. He was baptized at once. He washed their wounds and cared for them. This is what happens when we embrace a life of celebration. When you learn to celebrate God, you learn to celebrate others, God will use you in amazing ways. The city of San Diego will be changed if we together walk in this resolution. And what would it look like for you if you began to celebrate God? What would it look like for you if you learned how to celebrate others? If you're excited but aren't sure how to do that yet, just come back next week. Come back next week. We're going to get into very specific ways that Paul did it, how he told Timothy to do it, so that we would know how we can do it. But God's going to change us as a church this year as we learn from Paul. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we celebrate you. We do. We celebrate that in the midst of all of our circumstances, no matter where we are in life, in everything that all of us are going through, you did something 2,000 years ago that changes everything. You saved us. You died for sin and rose from the dead to abolish death and bring a new way of life that lasts forever. Father, we are so grateful to you. We are so thankful for you. Thank you for sharing this with us and for saving us. And Lord, there are people here who don't yet trust you. They're not yet following you. And we pray that you would bring them into the celebration. We pray that you would help them to join uh, the celebration and join the party by turning and following you just like the jailer did. And I pray that all of us, Lord, would learn how to celebrate each other, to celebrate the, the people that are around us at home, in our neighborhoods, and at work. Help us to dwell on this amazing news. Teach us over the course of this year so that we can become people that are good for San Diego. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.